have your Bible, turn with me please to Mark chapter 9 in God's Word. Mark chapter number 9. Excuse me. We're going to begin looking in verse number 14. And here the Bible says, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried, and rent him sore, and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer, and fasting. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the truth of your word, and by thy spirit, I pray that you would minister to the need of every heart today. Lord, I pray that uh, our minds would not be bogged down with the cares of this world and this moment of time in our lives, but help us, Lord, to be able to focus intently upon what you have prepared for us from before the foundation of the world. And Lord, may you receive glory through this, we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. As we consider the truth that is set before us, we understand that in the chronology of the ministry of Jesus, what we are looking at is a profound event, so profound it was contained in three of the gospel uh, writers. Uh, records of the ministry of Jesus. Uh, we find it in in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all write about this young boy who was possessed of a devil. But do you know, how many of you are aware that the Bible is not always written in chronological order? Let me see your hand. 
Sometimes there are events that are in different places in the Bible, and uh, it's not because their, their memory was faulty, it's how the Holy Spirit revealed it unto them. If you tried to read the book of Revelation and take it in chronological order, you would never be able to rightly divide its truth. You would uh, be out in left field. There are periods of time that, uh, that are dealt with at different points, and it's not all in a chronological order. It's in the way that God intended for it to be laid out, but we have to understand that to be able to rightly divide it. But in this chronology, we find that the event that took place just prior to the Lord's dealing with this man whose son was grievously vexed of a devil and dealing with this boy, the event that immediately preceded that was that of the transfiguration. Where the Lord Jesus ascended to the Mount of Transfiguration and was transfigured before the disciples, Peter, James, and John, that were allowed of the Lord to go up into the mountain with Him. And there the Lord Jesus, as we know, met with Moses and Elias, or Elijah, and the Heavenly Father. And there the Shekinah glory of God was upon their countenances, and hence we have the indication of the transfiguration. And there they met, and we... We can read the record of this, and Peter was true to form up on the mountain. He couldn't keep his mouth shut. He, he, he should have just been still and quiet and, and witnessed what was going on, but he said, Lord, it is really good for us to be here. And, and uh, he said, Lord, what we should do is we should build a tabernacle, uh, one for you and build one for Elias and build one for Moses and That'd be a really good idea for us to do, Lord. And, you know, as per what was typical, here were the followers of Jesus trying to tell him what he needed to do. <laughs> Make suggestions, you know. Um, there are a lot of people that want to serve the Lord, but only in an advisory capacity. And have you ever noticed that? We'd, we're really good at wanting to tell the Lord what we think he needs to do. But uh, what we find is now this epic event in the life of Jesus that now has validated before Peter, James, and John that He is indeed the Messiah of God uh, has transpired. And now Jesus is descending the mountain with His disciples, Peter, James, and John. And the Bible records for us that the other nine disciples were there. And the Bible tells us that the scribes, and in another place we read that it, the Pharisees were, or the uh, Sadducees were also there, and they were questioning the disciples, and that was something that they that they very often did, trying to undermine the teaching of Jesus and discredit who he claimed to be. And yet, I want you to understand something before we jump into the meat of this, and that was the, that is this that. As the Lord came down, He was in the presence of the Father, He was in the presence of Moses, He was in the presence of Elias, and He Himself was God. And there they were transfigured for a time before the disciples. And, and so when He came down, I believe according to the text and an and a in-depth study, that He still had some of the Shekinah glory on His countenance, similar to what we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 34, when Moses and Joshua came down off Mount Sinai after having received of the 
Lord the tablets of stone that contain the Ten Commandments, for a long period of time after that, the people of God had to shield their eyes from looking at Moses because the glory of God was upon his countenance. And the Bible even records that for us in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians where that, where that Moses had to wear a veil over his face uh, because the glory of God still radiated on his countenance and it was blinding unto the people that would look upon it. And I believe that now Jesus is coming into the midst of the people after having been on that mountain. And the Bible tells us that the multitudes, they were amazed when they saw Him and they came flocking to Him. It wasn't uncommon for people to flock to Jesus. He was a, a magnanimous person. He was meek and lowly in heart. He was humble and kind and He received people gladly. He was kind to children and to old people and to those that were disenfranchised and looked down upon. He was a friend. And so people sought after Him. But this time, they were amazed not because of His kindness and humility, but because when they looked upon Him, they saw, as it were, perhaps the countenance of what they thought an angel might look like, radiating with the glory of the Lord. And so they, they came flocking to Him and I want you to notice that here the one who said, I am the light of the world, was literally casting light in the world. And he came into a very dark situation. A little boy held in chains of darkness through demon possession. And so I want to bring you a message entitled, Lighting the Darkness for a Child. Lighting the Darkness for a child. As we look at this passage, we, we number one notice the doubters that brought about a chastisement. You see, what we find is that this man who was among the multitude that came to Jesus, when Jesus uh, was speaking to the rulers of the Jews saying, what is it that you're questioning my followers about, then this man, before anybody could say anything, this man stepped forward and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. So the Lord is standing here, and before him is this, this man who is the father of the demon-possessed boy. There's a demon-possessed young boy. And now here's the disciples, and here are the rulers of the Jews, and the multitude assembling around. And what did the Lord say? The Lord said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. So what we find is that the Lord was speaking in response to this man saying, I brought my son unto thee and your disciples can't do anything with him. And I have read many books on this passage of Scripture. I've studied many uh, commentaries. And there are many different ideas about who the Lord was addressing specifically when He brought this chastisement saying, Oh, faithless generation. But they are all in unanimous agreement about who the Lord wasn't talking to here. And the one that the Lord wasn't talking to when He made the rebuke 
was the father whose son was possessed of the devil. He was not rebuking him because this man had sufficient faith that he knew who he needed to go to. And it wasn't the Sadducees or the scribes. And it wasn't the disciples. He said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son. Because he understood who could make the difference for his child. But what we see is that the scribes and the Pharisees were constantly questioning the power of God. They were doubting the sincerity of Christ and questioning the Lord and His disciples. The Lord was also speaking to the nine remaining disciples because they were faithless in the respect that somehow they thought that they might have some part in effecting this miracle. That somehow it might depend upon them to be able to carry this off. And even though in time past they had been on their preaching journeys as apostles of the Lord going out two by two and they were given authority over the demons, this time they couldn't get her done. They had no power in this situation. I believe that the Lord lifted His voice and looked out not only and saw the rulers of the Jews and and the disciples, but He saw the multitude which so often during the ministry of Christ, were so fickle. They would praise Him and hail Him as the King at one moment, and the next moment, they would disbelieve Him because He spoke a truth that was difficult to understand. And so what would they do? They would say, well, we'll believe you if you do another miracle. Do another miracle. And the Lord said of the Jews that this wicked and adulterous generation always requireth a sign. And I shared, I believe it was last week or perhaps the week prior, that it's interesting to me that the gift, the sign gift of tongues was given because people were faithless, not because they were faith-filled. The reason why tongues were used at all in the early church period was not as some praise language, not as some personal prayer language. It was never that. It was to demonstrate to those that were of little or no faith, that salvation was available also to the Gentile world. Did you know that? That's the reason why it was given. It wasn't given for people to have this supernatural language. It wasn't given for them to uh, have some uh, way to do divine utterances of praise to the Lord. No, it was to demonstrate that salvation was available to the Gentiles Because the Jews didn't believe what God said. You see? And so, that was the very reason. And they were constantly wanting God to show them a sign. And so we see there were doubters that brought about a chastisement. They they doubted who He was and what He could say and the authority uh, that He possessed. And that leads us to this. We, We find that this scenario is really not about the doubters per se, but about the father and his son. And herein we notice, secondly, the desperation that brought about a choice. The desperation that brought about a choice. You see, one of the multitude said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. Listen, he was, he was desperate to get help for his son. The Bible tells us uh, in the other gospel records that he said, this is my only son. So he only had one son. And in that day, that 
that son was going to carry on the family tradition, carry on the family name. He was going to learn the family trade. And, and that was something that was very, very important to families in those days. And, and really it was looking altogether too much like that this boy was going to be known for being a lunatic. And that's what he was called in, in these passages. And that this family was going to be looked down upon because their child was possessed of a devil, though they had done nothing in and of themselves to bring this to pass. It was a terribly desperate situation. I wonder how many of you have been in a desperate situation. I know that you have. In fact, all of us have been desperate at various and sundry times in our lives, have we not? Perhaps it was financial desperation, or maybe it was because we had a loved one that was sick unto death, or we had a loved one who was uh, on drugs or alcohol or dealing with legal issues or maybe incarceration, or we were dealing with uh, an adverse diagnosis from the doctor and facing perhaps a terminal situation, or I, I don't know what it was that made you desperate. I know there are many times in my life where I've faced Mount Desperation, and I've ascended and descended the mountain of desperation many times. And I'm going to tell you one thing that I know from desperation is that it always confronts me with choices. People often make the choice to seek therapy or to get a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist to help them cope or somehow be able to deflect blame for their sin or situation on someone else. Maybe they want to go to a doctor and get meds to try to help medicate the anguish that they're feeling and the desperation that they're feeling in their heart. Maybe they turn to the bottle or they turn to the needle or they turn to the pills or they turn to a pipe and that's how they, that's what they choose to do. But do you know what? This man in desperation also made a choice and his choice was to bring his son to Jesus. And I wonder, when you're faced with desperation, what choice will you make? You say, well, you know, you see, the thing is, my insurance company will pay for it if I, if I go see a therapist or if I go see this, this uh, psychiatrist. They'll, they'll pay for that, you know. And so, since it's free, that makes it good? It, it, folks, listen, honestly, uh, there's a lot of free stuff that you can get in this country that doesn't make it all good. Do you understand? Uh, that means that uh, in some cases we're, we're raising a generation to feel a sense of entitlement and that the world owes them something because they got all this free stuff. And when we start cutting off the spigot of free stuff, then they want to rebel and say, it's my human right. And they don't want to go to work, but they still want the free stuff. So look, getting stuff for free doesn't always end well. Do you understand that? The fact of the matter is, this man chose to bring his son to the Master in the hope of a miracle. And it was the pain and the sorrow that he had felt for many years that led him to the feet of Jesus. Jesus asked him, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child, he's had it all his life, Lord. His mother and I were so vexed, we're so distressed, we can't even express in terms that anyone will understand. She can't go to the marketplace. The, the women are always pointing and talking and, 
and we'd become a byline in, in the marketplace and people looking down on us, talking about our parenting skills and wondering what sin we've committed to bring this upon our household. And, and, and it's, been, it's been hard on the whole family and they were desperate at this time and it was their pain and their sorrow that led them to Jesus. You know, most people don't just stumble into church because everything is going well. Did you know that? Uh, they don't just wake up one morning and say, man, I've got all the money I need. The house is paid for. My car's running great. The cupboards are full of food. I've got money in the bank. And uh, man, my life is so wonderful. I think I'll go to church. You know, that's not how that goes typically, is it? Normally, people find their way into church because they're in a desperate situation, because they're lonely, because they have health issues, because they have relationship issues, family issues. They have they're having problems, they're having legal issues, they're having problems that they have no ability to control. And so they've tried everything else. Let's see what God might be able to do. You see, and they come into church and often what happens is that's the impetus that brings them finally to Jesus and they get saved. I think it is of consequence for us to see here that the Bible reveals the man said, I have brought unto thee my son. It didn't say he sent his son. It says he brought his son. So he had a choice to make. He could have said, well, you know, there's going to be a lot of people there and they're not going to be very nice. The rulers of the Jews are there and they're going to say that his mother or I committed sin. This is the reason why this. I don't think I'll stay home. No, he got to the place where he didn't care anymore what anybody thought about his parenting skills. He didn't care anymore about the reputation of his family. It was shot. He didn't care what anybody thought about his little boy cutting up and making noise in front of the master. All he knew was, here's Jesus, and he may be the only one in heaven or earth that can effect a change for my boy, and he let nothing stand in his way. He let desperation lead him to make the choice to bring his child to Jesus. And I'm going to ask you, what will you choose? Is it to bring your family to Jesus? Or are you going to put them on a bus and send them? You going to call Uber or Lyft and send them? Will you copy and paste something off Facebook and send it? Or will you take them? You see, listen, God puts you in their life for a reason. And it's not just to, to say, hey, look, I'm going to send you directions to go somewhere. Listen, it's to say, I'll take you. The truth is, we have a duty and a responsibility. He did not send His Son. He brought His Son to Jesus. So we notice the doubters that brought about chastisement. And we notice the desperation that brought about a choice. But we notice, thirdly, the declarations that brought about a change. You see, there was a change that was needed, was there not? And uh, their desperation brought them to Jesus, and, and they were looking for a change. And I would say this to you, that often we, we pray for God to change our situation. But often God is less interested in changing our situation and more interested in changing you. God wants to change us. And sometimes, rather than changing the situation, he gives us the grace that we need to accept it. He gives us the fortitude that we need to persist. And 
Above all, He leads us to a place where we fail of ourselves and we throw ourselves at the mercy, even as this man did, of Almighty God. And so, the Lord made a powerful declaration to this desperate man because the man said, If thou canst do anything, Lord, have compassion on us and help us. Lord, if there's anything in the world you could do, just have mercy on us. We're in distress, Lord. And the Bible tells us here that he cried out with tears in verse number 24. You see, the father cried out to the Lord, but the Lord said, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. All things are possible to him that believeth. So, what we find is that the Lord made that powerful declaration to this man. And what the man said in response was something that was both sincere and humble in his response to the Lord. He said, Lord, I I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And, you know, this really was a prayer. He was speaking to God. And the Bible says that he cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And, you know, this is something that leads us to consider our own prayer lives. Have you ever noticed how mechanical our prayers can become? Am I the only one that notices that? How many of you have noticed that sometimes your prayers get a little mechanical? That you may as well just record it and hit the play button when you sit down at the table for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's the sum of a lot of people's prayer life, you know. Or when you go to bed at night, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, or dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for our many blessings. Thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's kind of how most people do it, right? Very mechanical. Now, folks, listen. Prayer is talking to God, right? If I talk to my wife like that, she'd probably have me committed, wouldn't she? I mean, she probably, this guy's nuts. If I'm like, if I'm, you know, like, you know, dear Linda, <laughs> I thank you for this dinner, you know, and the many blessings that you bestow upon our household every day. Amen. She'd probably say, what are you smoking, man? You know, what in the world is the matter with you? You know what? But this man, he didn't come praying in the king's English. You know, <laughs> O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we humbly beseech Thee to bestow upon us of Thy richest bounty this benediction for this dispensation of tribulation that we are enduring. O Thou, Lord God Almighty. You know, listen. Do you think God's really impressed with all that? I don't think so. You know what I think God's impressed with? When, when we get raw and we get real, we cry with tears and we cry out to the Lord, Lord, have mercy upon me. I believe you, but I don't know that I have perfect faith. Lord, I, I'm a little deficient in faith. I believe you. God, would you take the small measure of faith that I think I have and do something with it? You see, the man got raw and he got real and he cried out to the Lord with tears. I wonder when was the last time that you prayed with tears? When you just cried out to the Lord and it got real. 
We weren't trying to impress God with how we could pray in the King's English. We weren't trying to be pretentious in coming to the throne. We were just raw and we were just real. And God heard it and God answered. You know what this man said? Lord, I believe you, but I'm not sure I believe you enough. I, would you help me in the areas where I'm not believing you enough? Would you help thou mine unbelief? And I'll tell you this, I can identify with that. Because there's never been a time in my life where I felt I had perfect faith. Probably you don't either. In fact, we don't have perfect faith, do we? No. But we want to grow in faith. We want the Lord to help our unbelief, don't we? I like that verse in Romans 5 that says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Spirit which is given unto us. You see, hope, that, that believing and trusting in God will never lead me to be disappointed. When it says hope maketh not ashamed, it means you'll never be disappointed for having trusted God. You know, the times I trust myself, I trusted myself, I've always let myself down. I've always been disappointed. But whenever I've trusted Him, He's never failed me yet. And you know, I believe that He never will. And so this man said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Now, what we find is this. The Lord said, all things are possible to him that believeth. You know what this man said? He said, Lord, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. In those plural pronouns, us, us, you know what he was saying? He was saying, Lord, it's not just my boy that needs you, it's me. It's not just my boy that's so afflicted. Lord, it's me. I need you too, God. And so he came to the Lord in acknowledgement of his own need, not just saying, help my boy. He was saying, Lord, help us. Because, listen, you love your kids as I love my kids. You love them so much that you'd lay down your life for them if, if the situation presented and you'd never think twice about it. That's how much you love them. You love them more than you love your own life. And when they're hurting, you hurt. And when they're suffering, you suffer. And when they're out there in the world in sin, your heart is broken. And when you can't change it, and you don't know what to do, you go to the Lord and say, God, would you help us? Meaning what? Help me, God, to deal with this in a way that would please you. And help them to know your hand is upon their life. And you've got a calling on them. And, and draw them back, God. We need you. Not that rebel out there in the world needs you. We need you. This man knew that a change was needed. And he cried out to the Lord in honesty and God set about to make a change for this family. But every time God begins a miracle work in a family or in a life, you know what happens? The destroyer wants to challenge it. 
the devil. And so we notice, fourthly, the destroyer that brought about a challenge. You see, we know it was the devil because he tried to destroy him in the waters. He tried to destroy him in the fire. And Apollyon is destroyer. That's the devil. He wants to destroy our kids. He wants to destroy our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. And God is calling us to bring them to Jesus and to lift them up. And, and the devil wants to poke holes in our faith. And he wants to make us stay away because we're worried about what everyone will think about our parenting skills or what they'll think about us or what they'll say about our child who's wallowing around on the ground while Jesus is teaching the multitudes. And you know what? Listen, the destroyer is going to attack children. He's going to attack the elderly and the vulnerable. He doesn't have any scruples. And we need to understand that we need to go to the Lord in the behalf of those of our family that need Him and cry out to God for His mercy and acknowledge how much we need Him. We know that the Lord has power over the evil one. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we know that God is greater than the devil himself, and, and the Lord commanded that demon to leave that boy and to never return. And so it was. But we notice this, fifthly, the deliverance that brought about a cure. You see, the Lord said, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. You know, the devil tried to kill him right there to discredit the ministry of Jesus, to make the people not believe that what Jesus said was so. And yet God took authority over the devil and delivered the child and proved that he is Lord of all by taking that authority over the devil's realm. The Lord delivered. And what God does, He does emphatically, doesn't He? He doesn't do a halfway job. It was Jesus alone that raised this boy. It wasn't the disciples that wore the devil down. It wasn't the rulers of the Jews that, that scared the, the devil out of that kid. It was Jesus alone that did it. And you know what? We need to recognize the fact that Jesus alone is able to affect the change that we need in every desperate situation of our life. We don't need to go to a self-help guru. We don't need to look at an influencer on the internet. We don't need to, to download some televangelist to try to tell us how to do things. You know what we need is we need Jesus. And we need people that like this Father will take troubled souls to Jesus. And so... We notice, lastly, the distinction that brought about a conviction. The distinction that brought about a conviction. You see, the disciples were humbled and amazed at what had happened. And they came to the Lord when they went in the house. And, and they said, why could not we cast him out? And the Lord declared this, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer 
and fasting. You know what it means? It means that desperate situations call for desperate measures. That means that we're going to fast. We're going to afflict our body to demonstrate the sincerity and the urgency of the need before God. I'm bringing this urgently to you, Lord. I'm, I'm afflicting my flesh to show that I'm dependent entirely upon you with prayer and fasting as a, as a tool in spiritual warfare against the devil and what he is trying to invoke upon us. And the Lord distinguished that this kind of a situation was far beyond what the televangelists could do. They could have stood there all day long and said to the demon, I rebuke you in the name of the Lord. Or, I, I, I take authority over you through the blood of Jesus. They could have said that all day long. And the Lord said, nothing's going to happen. What they needed to do was pray and fast in total dependence upon God and God alone with the awareness that if anything changes here, it's not because of anything that I did, but it was because of what He did. And my friends, when God gets all the credit, He delights to do the miraculous for us. When Pat Chapman was in the hospital, we prayed. We prayed many times a day. Linda, my wife, was so heavy-hearted, broken-hearted, she could hardly work some days. And She'd close her office door and she was fasting and praying. And, and I fasted and prayed. We went seasons of time without eating and just prayed and cried out to the Lord to deliver her. I know Kurt did the same. And do you know, I'm going to tell you something. We were kind of praying, God, just raise her up, bring her home. And we would have accepted it as a victory if, uh, if she came home with a, a body that was disabled because of a stroke, but the body was still kicking. We would have counted it some measure of miracle or victory if, we, if, if the Lord brought her home with idiopathic fibrosis in her lungs and COVID in her lungs, but the lungs were still breathing. We would have been okay if the Lord brought her home and she had hypertension and, and heart trouble and neuropathy, but she was still alive, you see. And the Lord heard our cries of desperation and saw the affliction of our flesh to prove our sincerity and our sense of urgency before Him. You know what the Lord did? He said, you know what, I think I'm going to answer this prayer. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take care of the stroke, the idiopathic fibrosis and the COVID-19 and the hypertension and the heart issues and the neuropathy all at one time. I'm just going to give her a brand new body. And so He did. And so He did. See, the Lord didn't fail us. And He sure didn't fail her. He was a good God. Folks, listen, sometimes it doesn't always go the way we counsel God to do it. But He's God and not us. Now, as we come to the end of this, I want to tell you what prompted me to preach on this passage 
And I've preached out of this passage about five times since I've been pastoring on a Sunday morning. Okay, in, in 17 and a half years, so <laughs> it's not like it's a real repetitive, you understand? It's not the same message the same time twice. But listen, the Lord had been on the mount with the Father, with Moses, with Elias, with Peter, James, and John. It validated that everything he said to Peter, James, and John was true. That the kingdom of God had come in power before their eyes, even as Jesus said. Okay. Now the Lord has the radiance of the glory of God, that Shekinah still reflecting off his countenance, and the people flocked him. And when he came down off of that experience, with the glory of God radiating on his face. The first thing he did was take care of a little boy that was possessed of a devil. Never get to the place where you think working in the nursery or helping in the kindergarten room or teaching first and second graders is beneath you. Jesus was Lord, is Lord of all. He had the glory on Him. He was with the Father a few minutes before. And He stopped and He ministered to a little boy. You know, listen, when I go to the Philippines, it's different. You know, they, they often say that a prophet is not without honor, save in his own household and among they of his own brethren. And and so, you know, I go over there and they treat me like royalty. I mean, they literally. I mean, it, it, they take me to eat nice places. You know, people stand in line for an hour after church waiting for me to sign their Bible. You, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I mean, that's that's and they don't know any better than to just do that. You know, and it's not because I expect that. And it's humbling. And I talk to them all. I love them. I appreciate them. But uh, sometimes when it's time for me to go and, and all the kids just want to take ten more selfies with me, you know, literally, I, I swear there's probably a million kids in Visayas that have taken a selfie with me. You know, Linda knows. <laughs> They've taken it with her too. And uh, a lot of times what happened is one of the, one of the hosts will come up and they'll say, hey, leave the preacher alone. He's got to go now. You know? And uh, come on. We, we got important things to do, preacher. You need to leave him alone. You can take another picture tomorrow. Do you understand? And they make kind of light about what's going on right there because they've got important stuff to do. Leave the preacher alone. He's got important things to do. There was nothing more important that Jesus had to do than take care of a little boy that was in darkness. And as He came down with the light of God on Him, He shone that light in that dark life and set Him free. I'm praying that God will let us open the Sunday school back up soon. Have ministry to kids. They're our future. They represent the future generation of leadership here. Let's be in prayer. Let's bombard the throne room of heaven 
with prayer and fasting that God would affect a change so that we can cast the light of the world in the dark places for a little child. Father God, we thank You for loving us. Thank You, Lord, for the fact that You took care of a little boy that the rest of the world would have just shooed away. Lord, thank You that You said, Suffer the little children to come unto Me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment. Perhaps today you're here and you're just not even sure if you died right now that you would go to heaven, but you're concerned about it. If that's you, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'd like to pray for you. And so if you're not certain that you're on your way to heaven, but you'd like to be sure, what if you just lift your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor, that's me. Here's my hand. Here's somebody like that. God bless you. And maybe today there's somebody that would say, I've got a desperate situation, and I know that God wants me to come to Him in total dependence and honesty. Pray for me, Pastor, that I would come to the Lord with sincerity. I would not seek everything and everyone except Him, that I would bring that situation or that person to Jesus. Pray for me. Here's my hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Lord Jesus, thank you for being a wonderful Savior. Father God, thank you for the divine plan that you have. Spirit of God, thank you for the way that you have worked in our hearts today. Help us to remember the truth long after this service is passed. For this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. My friends, I want to tell you, I love you. And God loves you so much. Never come to the place where you think that anyone is insignificant to God. Most of all, you. He loves you. And if you were the only one that needed salvation, He would have left heaven and died for only you. That's how much He loves you. Never forget that. And Jesus loves misbehaving boys that are full of the devil. And so should we. And so should we.